this is episode one of how we see it with myself Vinayak in Sekat. As we have mentioned before, we're going to be doing this regularly, virtually, primarily using either podcast or Zoom to discuss issues which are of importance both here in India as well as globally. And right now, the entire globe has come together on a common issue because there is a common enemy in COVID-19 or what's also called as coronavirus. Um, we've had an expert in the previous episode, but we're lucky again to have another expert on this episode. Uh, welcome, Dr. Mukherjee. Uh, you come from the Department of Biostatistics. Recently, a pretty positive to do, um, and therefore we're we're grateful for your time and would love to hear more from you. And hopefully, the audience will also really benefit from this conversation. So, thank you so much, and welcome. Thank you so much, Vinayak. Thank you so much, Saikat, for this initiative of getting the right facts out there at the right time. So, uh, what I wanted to say, so uh, we just released a report in Medium and also prepared an extensive report on our own situational analysis of the COVID-19 situation. But let me give you a background, you know, so I have been um, quarantined for the last five days. I have not gone out of my uh, um, condominium and so, um, and, and, and I, I feel helpless. I have been uh, living in the United States uh, for the last uh, 23, 24 years, but I have never felt cordoned off from India. So my parents are still in India and there is a travel ban. I cannot go to India. So in these circumstances, and many of us here are in this situation. So we decided to channel our energy and our expertise to analyze data. So there are graduate students at University of Michigan, postdocs at University of Michigan. We started this work honestly last week and we got together by blue jeans and spent many sleepless nights. I think that I have got very little sleep in order to get the report out there because most of the analysis that you have seen is after the fact. And after the fact analysis of the cases does not really change uh, the fate of a pandemic. So we wanted to get this report early and we used uh, certain standard epidemiologic tools. The methodology is quite standard, but looked at the Indian data. And the methodology was actually devised by a colleague of mine at the biostatistics department at University of Michigan. He had analyzed all the data from Hubei. So I think as much as we are in deep crisis, we also have two examples where they have turned the course of this pandemic around China and South Korea. So what can we learn from the data there? Because we are at an advantage, because we are at a lag. So what can we do and how can we prepare ourselves? So that was the goal of the report. It is blended with some of the quantitative projections and there will be a lot of variation in the quantitative projections because there is uncertainty in the early phase in the numbers that you're getting. And we published the report on March 16th and then as soon as you know we ran the model last night with data up to March 21 and the projections are much higher because you are getting more people tested and uh, um, then the numbers are going up. So regardless of the numerical value of those estimates, the conclusions are very similar about interventions, that what we need to do and how we need to prepare for a long-term strategy and be clever about all the different types of interventions in terms of travel ban, social distancing, lockdown, 
uh, we are increasing our capacity of testing all of these four in a like slightly optimized strategy should be rolled out and this can have drastic effect and as we have seen south korea and china has shown us that this is not an uh, unbeatable uh, crisis but we need to be so so Vinayak here, uh, you know, I've read some of your work and it's, it's amazing how quickly you've been able to turn it around and it's uh, remarkable. So, you know, kudos to you for that uh, and more power to you and your co-authors. I have a couple of questions. Tell us the, tell us the not so good news and tell us maybe the something positive and hopeful that we can hold on to both here in, in, in India but also in, in the US because as you said, we're we have the advantage, so to speak, of lag compared to Korea and China. Um, so those would be very important. And because you work in biostatistics and epidemiology, something that has, I mean, uh, something that I've been very curious about is where are the early prediction models? Where are the early warning systems? Are they none or they've not been looked at or they're just faulty? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that as a second question. So great question, Vinayak. So let me uh, answer it. You un- answer this in parts. So the first thing I want to say is that um, we have data, very spotty data, because as soon as you are doing more testing, the numbers are going up. So it's hard to. So the missing piece of the puzzle, as we say in the report, is the truly affected number of cases, and the crisis point is that in terms of diagnosis and resisting and arresting community spread is the asymptomatic people who are not showing signs of symptom and are not tested and they are going about doing with their daily life and that's why this quarantine strategy for everyone because we really do not know who has the virus or not because we have not tested everybody so that's a missing piece of the puzzle but in the first part of the pandemic how south korea arrested it is actually really doing large-scale testing and then contact tracing right testing and contact tracing of the exposed individual even in us in the beginning of the pandemic we were getting from our county that these are the cases and these are the areas where they have been so anybody exposed should get tested but then when the case number is in hundreds and thousands that's not a feasible strategy anymore so this is only a good strategy in the early part of the pandemic when it has spread all over then you shift to providing more care to uh, people who are coming to the hospital so i think the good news is that uh, the the success of china and south korea right because we know that this is this is this can be done and i also think that india has acted early and i am very proud of the government for rolling out very severe measures at a very early stage and that was very much needed and because with a population like india i think draconian measures need to be taken just because of the sheer numbers that we can produce the bad news is also that the people who are at the highest risk category for going to the hospital or going to the ICU, there are certain risk risk characteristics. For example, the elderly, people who have immune system compromise, people who are have diabetes. We calculated in table two of our paper that that number of vulnerable people are huge in India. So it, it may end up that there is a more pressure you need to flatten the curve even more because more people have to go to the hospital. And then there is a the double jeopardy because the number of hospital beds in, in India is 0.7 according to the World Bank, Bank data per thousand people, whereas in, whereas in US it's 2.9. 
So if you think about these two things, that more people are coming and less beds, then it's a even like how much do you need to flatten the curve? So these draconian measures that are being taken are absolutely necessary from a mathematical and epidemiology point of view. But then also the bad news is that it's not easy to rule out these interventions because there are side effects. So we are now really talking about in our projection model in our conversation, how to control the number of coronavirus infections. But because of that, we can have secondary consequences because of these interventions that people who earn daily wages, right? So we do not want to create a socioeconomic crisis. So we need some kind of economic and social immunity before we get biologic hard immunity from this viral. So virus. So I, I strongly feel that the side effects could be, so we have to really think it in a holistic point of view. And so that we can give some subsidies, some assurance to common people that they are not going to starve to death. There will be food on the table as well as, um, you know, there may be strategies that people can go out in a in sort of a punctuated, modulated lockdown that people can go out for a limited number of hours, like China did, that, that you are allowed to go out twice. And so some kind of regimented charter that one can follow. Uh, so I think that uh, the whole, and also it has been shown that during this period of the pandemic in China, there has been excess deaths due to other comorbidities, right? Because when you are confined, there's a psychosocial effect. You are not getting probably the right nutrition. You are not getting the right exercise. You are anxious, you are stressed out. So there are other diseases, other repercussions that can happen. So if I think about an omni model, where you are actually incorporating all of these benefits of the intervention and the costs of the intervention, it's very complex puzzle to solve in a country like India. But I think fundamentally right now, we have to go through a hard period in order to really uh, get out of this phase and then think about long-term strategies. And I think it would be wise to think about long-term strategies here. And the good news, as I said, I think that uh, um, there was a study that people have uh, tested a random number of individuals at hospitals with respiratory illnesses and most of them were, uh, almost all of them were negative. Uh, so I think it had the community transmission and spread probably has not happened at that level. So I think that the measures that are being taken and the government and the local public and I think the public awareness is a very important uh, component of this war because we need uh, public, private, government and partnership with scientists who are really working hard on this problem to really conquer uh, this crisis, the defining crisis for humanity. So I'm optimistic that, you know, I, I, I'm also optimistic in human spirit so I think that I also see that at this time, we are in our best behaviors. We are extending empathy to others. We are coming together virtually because it is suddenly this virus is an equalizer between everybody in the world. And we are feeling our connection as a human race. So there is tremendous feeling of solidarity and resilience, which is also very uplifting. That's why, you know, I, I cannot remember the last time when I have worked like 72 hours continuously on a report because I otherwise there was no way to get it out there by Sunday. And uh, I wanted to do that. Dr. Mukherjee, if I could ask based on your study that you've done, uh, India has taken a series of measures, lockdown in 80 districts, which is unprecedented. 
tomorrow they are shutting down all domestic airlines so that means there won't be any domestic aircrafts taking off or landing anywhere and they are also ensuring that people just don't step out on the road at all so they've gone far beyond social distancing so based on these measures what are the figures that you have seen in your report and do you think we might actually see lesser figures because these measures are in place yeah that's that's a very good question and so in our figure 4 we did a hypothetical simulation experiment so i have to say that all of this work that we did you have to take with the grain of salt because there is few data in the early phase and so i want to say that we are building an online tracker so that every two days our estimates are going to be up, up, uh, updated and i'm going to sh- soon release that website where people can check what our projections are based on the most up to date data because the projections are changing very rapidly march 16 to march 21 even is a drastic contrast so uh we have to be prepared for that and uh but i do think intervention so in a preliminary calculation that we did we predicted that without any the any of the strict measures the number of cases could go to 2.2 million uh 161 per 100000 that roughly predicts about 2.2 million but with this measures and containment you can bring it down to about 15000 so these numbers i do not think you should take these numbers as like the truth the absolute truth because this is uncertainty in numbers but the magnitude of reduction that you can achieve is actually quite huge and so i believe that after this initial phase as we look at the data for the next couple of weeks are extremely critical for india because we rather be safe than sorry so um and then revisit not say predict that this lockdown is going to continue so that the general public starts to panic about their livelihood about their wages we should really think about that could create a havoc too right if if people yeah. are feeling so insecure about their earning how can they really think about fighting the virus so i think there has to be a strong message about the social collective spirit that we are going to hold each other through this time and get through these two weeks of hardship and because that's absolutely necessary I think so that's where the role of the state will come in to create that sort of safety net and as you mentioned social and economic immunity um so that people are not don't panic on the economic front um and can you educate us about to yeah. re- sorry in response to Saikat's question is that sometimes it's very hard to imagine why these measures are being taken but this is a a contagious process which is growing at an exponential rate so people think linear and if you think about you know you, you for from single digits how quickly you go to hundreds and thousands and millions is just uh, i would say that even as a statistician as i was hoping the us situation i was thinking no it is not going to be that bad but i think it has been a failure of our collective social imagination that this could be this big So I think that now that we have seen in so many countries we really need to hunker down. Since you spoke about how quickly it can scale up um can you explain to us what is an R coefficient in this context? So, so I think the, that's the number which is 
Yeah, so it's in 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 a very lay terms, it is the number of people that you can actually get affected. So every person can be like affect affecting four people, and so in that way, it can magnify at a very very fast rate. So uh, I actually calculated. So most in China, the estimated R is about three point eight in Hubei in Wuhan, and they had a very rapid acceleration rate. And I calculated these projections under R at two because India has not shown that community transmission levels. But all the projections, even for Italy and US, if you see in our paper, uh, are calculated under R two, but still massive, massive, quite massive numbers projected. But these are without any interventions. So uh, as soon as we are able to turn the curve, then the R becomes lower. And and there is a, a particular study in Hubei that which calculates R after these interventions have been rolled out, and so with these interventions they were able to bring R from 3.8 to about 0.3 to 0.6. Wow, that's substantial. Yes, yes. And are these tests, these test kits that we're talking about, um, is it are these accurate tests? Or is there some variability and some sort of pinch of take it with a pinch of salt, or no? These tests, but they say you're positive, or they say you're negative. That's that's the gold standard. So I'm I'm going to share a personal story. So I was uh, exposed to somebody who uh, tested positive for COVID-19, and that's why I'm quarantined right. And so um, I asked my physician whether I am going to be tested, and. Right now, there is in US, they are not even testing the exposed people until they are have severe symptoms. So the recommendation is that you stay at home for 14 days without getting tested and take care of if you have mild symptoms, just treat it as a natural flu. Take Tylenol and or paracetamol instead of ibuprofen. And if you are not, ha- if you are actually then having severe. Uh, Breathing disorders or medical attention only then go to the hospital, and the tests are also taking time because there is a backlog. So testing, I do not know how feasible it is once community transmission has happened and so many people need to get tested, right? Because they have been exposed. But the tests are not perfect. Different assays are not perfect. So that's something that I'm working on. I smile because uh, this is exactly so that the models that actually we uh, fit. Takes into account that the fraction of people who are tested could be unknown. Like the truly exposed could be quite different from the truly ascertained, but the truly ascertained may also not be truly ascertained because the sensitivity of the specificity of the test is not perfect. So what I have heard that there is quite a bit of false negative in this test. So people are thinking about, but you know what I think is that the more and more they there are. Fancier tests, more expensive tests, which are more accurate. But I think that some affordable test, which has decent, more than the perfect test, an affordable test which has decent sensitivity specificity, I'm fine with that. But I think people, the symptom management is very important. That the dry cough and the breathing difficulty, and so symptom management and staying at home and taking care, just like staying hydrated. And uh, using medication is very important. So the tests are not perfect, and they're talking about you know using CT, chest CT coupled with RT-PCR for a more finer diagnosis, and also being able to predict who is going to need hospitalization. That's also an important question. That what are the characteristics that 
predict severity that we list in table two so that we can brace ourselves that these are the people who we should watch out for for a higher level of care. So if I could and come I, in... I, and I do not know, you know, the other thing of which I'm thinking about, I do not know about the Indian market, but definitely in US, every company is coming up with a test. So I don't know a relative comparison of this test because there is a lot yeah. of private tests, universities that are trying tests. So I do not know the calibration. But you know, this is a moment when we cannot perfect because perfect can become the enemy of the good. Like Vinayak and me, we've been discussing this and this is a major debate that's happening in India, Dr. Mukherjee. One thing that they keep saying is that we should be testing more. But the government says that if we go out and do indiscriminate testing, we might end up in a situation where we don't have enough test kits left. And we've just added a few more private organizations to also start testing. So where do you think, what is the right strategy? What is the right mix? Because how do you prepare for something at this scale? I do think that they should test random people, right? So as a surveillance measure, because you can design a study where you are keeping a track. So I think that you can predict outbreaks and hot, hot epicenters if you actually track, get a sense of this respiratory illness related complaints, coughs, so you can people because people are starting to show some symptoms more than usual. So I do believe that data scientists have an important role to play if we actually could gather some data about what are the counts of respiratory illness related claims in big metros at this time and track that. And then also randomly test individuals in hospitals to get a sense of is this spreading. So maybe you have a quota of a number of tests that you can easily deploy and then deploy them and see that if there is any evidence of community transmission so that you can target. You're not going to test everybody in India, but you can collect data to sort of track if there is a sense, if there is any sign of increase and then you can increase the surveillance. So you have to do it in a strategic way because we cannot really test 1.34 billion people. And again, I think the, it should also be prioritized for people who are at the highest risk, the vulnerable population. Um, and but but I think it's it, I think the ministry is quite active in doing that. But some of the proxy surrogate things, which give sense in a community that there is an outbreak, community health workers can play a great role in here because they are particularly think about the rural areas in India. If there is the if there is a health worker who is sort of going door to door and checking and saying is anybody having fever, so these grassroots level work, India's strategy does not have to be the same as the Western world. We have different kind of strength and we have different kinds of problems, and so I think we have to be creative as we roll out tests and we, as we roll out interventions, but adapt to the Indian context. How we can make still lives go on and not just completely frozen with fear and panic and um, depression and anxiety. As they say, the magic bullet is vaccination, but we don't see a vaccination coming up for at least another 11 months at the earliest, and if not, then 18 to 20 months. In this period, so it look, as of now, it's looking like it's going to be a long-term issue. So in a situation like this, what are the things that we need to do to start preparing ourselves for this long haul? Yes, so, so um, you know, I um, 
we wrote that section in the um, article about what do the people of india need to do and what can the government do so i think the important thing is really a partnership a sense of partnership that nobody is against one another it's not like one group is suffering more because of the bans and people understand why these drastic interventions are necessary i hope people also have optimism and hope that we are going to get through this crisis and we have to be uh, fighting because not everything is always easy but the human race has always been victorious so i think and the, and, and there is also need for data science and very agile surveillance and you have to be facile with respect to the interventions and very agile with respect to the surveillance so that you can track and predict and maybe in facebook and twitter people are talking about dry cough people are searching for symptoms like as we go to right now everybody is searching for coronavirus but down the road when it has subsided if people are searching and you can track that data so i think you there has to be more very uh, close knit surveillance as well as you have to be facile in terms of the uh, interventions as a society so you reason yeah go ahead go ahead please when i go no 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 please go ahead please go ahead go ahead go ahead so i think as a society we have to really cast a broader safety net and prepare ourselves because you know every flu almost has two seasons right it comes back again in the fall so it is not going to be like this but probably there will be another peak in the fall i do not know but every flu has to two sort of peaks in the year most of the flu so um, so i think i think i think that 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 we should be prepared to be cautious till we get a vaccine till we acquire herd immunity and and you know and and be be very very vigilant about uh, our health uh, about our uh, you know hand hygiene about hand hygiene and you know for example hand wash soap you can probably distribute that have and also prepare our healthcare system because if you get adequate care and ventilators then your risk of mortality is very very low so you we have to really be hopeful about that that if we build up capacity in protecting our health workers and frontline workers in terms of the gears that they need to so that they don't fall sick we have to make arrangements that we have coronavirus specific hospitals and it testing is easy and cheap and and really cast a intensive surveillance uh, net so that we can really lock down in a local way and provide support if in the future this outbreak happens again and there are intelligent ways using data of doing that so you know you've touched upon yeah go ahead please i'm done you've you've touched upon a Yeah, you've touched upon a couple of very interesting and important topics, and I'm going to ask you one question at a time. Um, the first question is: since we spoke about vaccination and what is a sort of a cure, I do remember, you know, Bill Gates spoke about this. I think in 2015, and you know, it, it, he was the first one who, one of the first early people, high-profile people at least, who said, "We're not ready for this." One of the things he said in that is about antibody, which is. you know to find cures within affected people within infected people to find cures and build those antibodies um radical measure maybe controversial measure but do you, what is your view on that so you know i think i'm not an expert in vaccine development so i'm not going to overstep my boundaries of expertise 
but what I know from general knowledge is that there are dangers with rolling out a vaccine early. I think we did that for dengue and then it had other side effects that we did not anticipate. So that's why this timeline is projected. Though people have early lids, it's going to be dangerous to roll it out without proper assessment. And so um, I, I, I don't think that I would like to comment on the biology and development of vaccines because uh, that's not my expertise. So thank you for that question. No, uh, no, fair, fair enough. Um, my next question is going to be since I think you mentioned data science and sort of responsible surveillance. Now, there is obviously a flip side to that, which is, you know, we saw certain countries like Israel where they're getting ordering metadata of the phones to be looked into to look at exactly this and who got in contact with whom and so on. Uh, but, you know, that can be a double-edged sword because that sometimes can be either misused or perceived to be misused. Um, from a civil liberties point of view, do we come to a point where we right now temporarily suspend all civil liberties for the greater good? Or do we still need to keep a watch on that? I, I think that there are intelligent ways of looking at secondary analysis data, right? So if you, for example, so I don't, I don't believe in more of these things you do, people get into a state of panic and then human behavior changes. So, um, so I think you have to be more intelligent. My own personal view is that secondary data analysis, particularly this hospital admissions data, the healthcare providers to survey the healthcare providers about what they are seeing. I think to cast a real broad net of what people are seeing in terms of respiratory illness and signs, and then deploy random tests in those places where there is an extensive sort of report or excess report of respiratory illness can be set up, right? And this, uh, the, the search, Terms. Like you can actually use for, yes, Google flu was a disaster, but still, I'd really have like, you know, fail, have a false alarm rather than miss a true signal in these cases. So I, I think tracking the data, what people are searching for in big metros, and if there is a Twitter comments on, uh, you know, I feel these symptoms, the sentiment analysis from Twitter. So these secondary data, these are public data. When you are signing on Twitter, you are actually agreeing to that. So I think that you can mine the existing data because so much information is in our clicks right now, as well as the medical claims, insurance claims, and hospital admissions data. I think being in close contact with physicians, frontline health workers, doing random tests across the country periodically to make sure that this is not happening if there is particularly if there's a cluster of respiratory illness so that you can localize like if the whole china became like hubei it is going to be a disaster but the whole entire china did not become like hubei because it was cordoned off so if you can keep it localized then you also can bring in resources from other parts of the country to that part right so so i think so i think I don't believe, I, I actually believe that, you know, we have to think about people's happiness and uh, purpose in life and the psychosocial well-being because these are also very important key factors in your health. So already we are Absolutely. all in such unusual circumstances. Just uh, even just think about this, that in November, a farmer probably in Wuhan was walking and something happened and the same organism and same part is living like in all over the world and so fragile we are so fragile in spite of our 
in spite of our advances in technology in terms of uh, competition we're so fragile so i think it's a moment of humility it's a teaching moment for all of us no absolutely and you know as we come to close to a wrap of uh, this episode of how we see it um you know any summary thoughts on on what what's next for you i know you're home in quarantine and you're working around the clock um on a summary note what what's next um on your plate yes Very so quickly because we're going to be wrapping up the zoom call will finish absolutely so thank you for that question so i think that you have to use your quarantine time productively so that's what my one of my mission is that i want to make a difference and you know I, we could have waited for a journal paper submission we chose medium as the outlet because the message needs to go out there and i'm very happy that it is making a difference in and and i saw shashi tharoor sharing our study today on facebook and so i think it is making a difference and i'm very glad about that and i i continue to work on this modeling piece i said the first step is to uh, release this online tracker with daily updates of the model because it's constantly changing so that would be number 1 number 2 is actually improvising our model and modifying our model so that we can take this testing imperfection and the fraction of underestimated cases more accurately into account so to do better projection and the third thing i wanted to do so far our models are much more short term but i want to come up with sort of a natural history of the disease type model which gives a long course of prediction so i think that this is what the plan of the team is and i have to really really thank all the people at university of michigan johns hopkins and delhi school of economics we all came together with the common goal that we need to write something which is thorough which is well referenced and it is actually just analyzing the data i could make a lot of assumptions about you know what is the true number of cases and so on maybe our predict- predictions are low but it even in that case we are in a deep crisis so i'm going to be vigilant with my data and my analytic skills to contribute to this war against virus this virus so that's that's the plan of the group thank you so much uh, we unfortunately coming to a close but i wish you i wish you good health and i wish uh, i hope you keep churning out that report and those data it's something yes. we need and yes. i hope to be able to we hope to be uh, reconnected with you soon to talk more about your progress in your work Until then, uh, good luck and thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you, Dr. So Mukherjee. Thank you so much, Saikat, for the wonderful work that you're doing. This is very important, and with technology, we can reach so many people. This is a equalizer for us all. It's the same as being uh, we are all connecting through Zoom anymore. Zoom these days. So, thank, thank you, you so much, yep. Dr. Mukherjee. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you.